How are you doing this morning? All right, so it's a little gray out there. The sun's coming out a little bit. There's rain here. I'm proud of you for making it because we in Texas, I don't know if you know this, but we're susceptible to the weather. And when it's bad weather, we freak out. And we're like, it's raining, I can't go outside. And, and so I'm, I'm proud that you made it here. And if I do my job today, then you will be excited to leave. You'll understand where I'm uh, going here in a little bit because what, what, what God is doing through Cypress Creek Church is that he's building he is building something that he has been building for 30 years. He's building something fresh is the word that I like to say. I don't like to say new because there's nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, but something fresh right here. And then, and then he's building something for the future. And uh, I love that we've gotten to see what God has been building for the last 30 years of the church as we celebrated our collectively 30 30th birthday. So, so we've been in this build series. If you see the Legos and you're visiting for the first time and you're like, what's going on? Uh, is this a children's? Well, there, we do have a lot of children at this church. Yes, we love children. We think they're super important. And uh, these Legos have been, uh, they're actually not Legos, by the way. They're, they're too, ex it's too expensive to buy Legos. And so I, I bought the cheap kind so we can have more. So you can take however, however many you want. So this is your last opportunity for the Legos. If you want Legos, get them today. All right. So the Lego pieces are, are to symbolize that we all have a piece to play. We all have a part to play in the greater masterpiece that God is creating through this expression of the church called Cypress Creek Church. And so we have looked at these four lanes that we run in as a church. We have been running in these four lanes as a church. And, and the overseers, the elder, believe that we should continue to run in these four lanes. What are those? Well, these. We are about changed lives that follow Jesus. Once we come and, and we gather and we, we listen, man, we're, we're changed forever. We are uh, completely made into a new creation and transformed. And then we're about healthy and strong families. We want to invest in the next generation. That starts back there in our kids' ministry to our student ministry and then our college ministry. College students, where are you at? College students, where are you at? Oh, man, the second time was worse than the first, so I went to a third. They're here, and there's more out there. Uh, we invest in the next generation, and it's also about building strong families. That means investing in our marriages. That means looking at what it looks like to parent children, because mom and dads, we are the primary discipler of our kids. We have incredible volunteers that commit to teaching our kids out there, but what we do in the home matters most. And so we want to be about those things, uh, build vibrant community groups. We're multiplying them. We meet in uh, multiple cities, two counties, all throughout the, the place. And, and we want to build strong and vibrant community groups. And then here's this mornings, missional living, both locally and globally. And again, we partner with our local and our global ministry partners. And everybody say, and we go on mission ourselves. And so this morning, again, I hope that you're excited to leave church because what we do outside of the, these walls matters. It is of crucial importance for the furthering of build our own mission because he's given us unique and special mission fields to go and be his hands and feet out there. So are you ready? Well, I got a video. Oh, oh, are you ready? Yeah. 
Hey, here we are. We're awake. Okay, see, I told you I was going to get you out of that gray. Ah. Okay, so we have a video. We've been uh, highlighting testimonies. We had the Tuttles talk about strong families, and, and this morning we sat down with the Herreras, Hector and Sandra Herrera and Eric and Shauna Hubert, to talk about their story. This will show us what it looks like to be on mission. You're going to be glad you came this morning to watch this six-minute video. Let's go ahead and roll it. Hector and I got connected to Cypress Creek Church April 27th, 2003. My first day, Hector used to work on Sundays, so I went by myself. But that day after church service, I went home telling my husband, hey, we're going to go to a, I called it a Bible study. Yeah, you um, Bible studies. You don't want to freak me out with comedic group. Well, back then they were called heart, heart groups. Heart groups, yes. You know, I'm like, yeah. my heart is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I was very against changing religions. Yeah. And when she told me that, I'm like, yeah, we, we fought that night. We fought and on that Wednesday, yeah, that driving was, to community so, group. I'm like, yeah, we're going, but don't expect me to say anything or talk to anybody. <laughs> Such a powder. Yep. But that that night was uh, that was very an eye opener. The next nine months, those men in that community group—they just loved him to into Jesus's face, and I'll never forget the night that he was he was getting ready to prep for men's encounter. You're, you're like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to change. You know? But men were so patient with me. They were so understanding. And they, maybe because they went through the same thing. But what could I, what could I do? I'm just like, man, these guys are loving on me. And they're speaking truth. So there's no way around it. I mean, we've gone through some stuff last year. And the church came around us and loved us well, and they just were there supporting and and just loved on us. Whatever we needed, they, they were there. It was just amazing. We got connected with Cypress Creek Church in 2008. Um, our wonderful neighbors, the Herreras, Hector and Sandra Herrera, they invited us to the church and um, loved on us and demonstrated what it means to have people who care about you, but be real. When we first moved in, you know, we were agnostic. We did not believe. In I remember that. Yeah, yes, I remember, I remember, I remember that, that. That that first year, we were kind of, you know, hinted and kind of like. Mm -hmm. And Eric, I mean, he, the, the way he is now, as far as like, you know, stern, telling, direct, no, yeah, direct, telling people about Jesus. That's the way he was. Like, no, we, we're cool. We're cool. And I'm like, yeah, oh, okay, you know. So you're like, but. You have to respect that, and I'm like, you know, that's cool, you know? But it's like, it's God's time. Yes. I deployed when that's I right. came back. You guys, I remember the, the group had started up, and then you guys had this big welcome thing for the right. first time going to right. the group. I don't know if you guys remember this. I just remember what you, you all told us is that at that point, you had thought you were not going to come back. Do you remember that? I'm assuming you do remember There was that. a lot of fear. There was a lot of fear. Yeah. 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 And I remember... Being in an encounter, and I was like, you know, just listening to God because he, he hasn't re received God, and, you know, as Jordan said, had not. Had not. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, Lord, can I, you know, I'm like, okay, ask him right now. So I think, hey, what do you want? 
You see Jesus Christ? No, nope. <laughs> not ready. Not ready. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, I'll wait. And then five, ten minutes later, and then I asked him again, like, nope, not ready. Dang it. <laughs> And then, like, it was like two or three times. Yeah, I did. I think the third time is like, I think God's just like, okay, ask him right now. Yeah. I said, yeah, man, you were ready for it. You see Jesus Christ? Yeah. And I'm really like, no. <laughs> I'm like, um, okay. So I just, you know, did a prayer. I was just getting beat down and beat down and convicted for all these things. And then all of a sudden it was just like, hey, stand up. Tell Hector finally that you're ready. And then accept, accept me. Yeah. Is what I heard, so that's what I did. For me, it was life. You know, it, it just energized me to be who I truly were supposed to be my whole life. It's, it's almost, it's hard to explain it unless you go through it yourself, but just the excitement of what Jesus has for you and then discovering all these things that's occurred in your life, and it was because of God. You know, and it was, it was, all meant to lead to this point where somebody invited me to come to Cypress Creek Church, which would change everything. My marriage. Just, uh, and me, changed me. <laughs> and uh, it's just been life changing, everything. Can't explain any more than that. Yeah. So you got the questions now? Let's give God a hand and the Herreras and the Huberts a hand. Life changing, right, Eric? There's nothing manlier than a man crying because God has changed something in him. Amen? God's after us. He's after you and I. And, and we're going to be talking about God being on mission, but I know that there are some here in this room right now, God's after you. God's after you making the decision. Are, are you ready? Are you ready to accept him? And so I don't want to overshadow that as, as we talk about being sent out, because really when, when we say yes to Jesus, that is only the beginning of what he has to offer for us. By the way, did you catch that? Hector later said, are you ready to ask the questions now? Like they shared all of that before I got, got to, you know, my questions. So that, that's what God does when, when um, you know, we're just in, in his will. I'm so grateful that we caught that on video because it does a better job than anything that I can say to you as to what it means to be on mission. And it's really cool because there's so many things that they did that match with what Jesus teaches us. We're going to be looking at Matthew 9 and Matthew 10, walking down the way that Jesus trained his disciples to be missionary, how he taught them to build their own mission. And so we're going to get there in just a bit, but I want to talk about the why. Why do we go? Because there's a problem. In Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers or few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The problem is not that people are unwilling or not ready to say yes to Jesus. The problem is that there's not enough workers that are willing to go out. 
There, there's not enough people that are, that are willing to say, God, use me. I, I'm going to be aware of what you were doing in my surrounding. And so really the problem is in here, in churches where people are following Jesus, but are not going all the way into what he has taught us. See, when Jesus called Peter in Matthew 4, if we rewind a little bit in the gospel of Matthew, he, he's walking through Galilee, and he says this, uh, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew, and they were casting a net into the lake. They were doing their jobs. They were minding their business. They were fishermen. And then in verse 19, their lives change forever. Jesus, the creator and savior of the world, says, come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. So Jesus does three things with Peter and with Andrew, these brothers. First, he says, come. He invites them into relationship with the Savior. See, back then, rabbis would actually hand out applications, not invitations. They would say, hey, apply to be my disciple. And if you were smart, and if you were a good Jewish man, learned in the things of Jewish culture, then perhaps you would make it. And then the disciple maker or the rabbi would say, yes, you can now follow me. Jesus doesn't do that. He pursues them. He pursues us, and he says, hey, you, come, come. Stark contrast. He meets them right where they're at and says, come. And then follow me. When we follow Jesus, we become more like Jesus. When we follow how he's asking us to live, our minds are renewed, our lives are transformed, and we start becoming more like Jesus. And the more we become like Jesus, the more we do what Jesus was doing. He's empowering us to go and fish for people. How many people love to fish? Number one thing that fishermen know, I've gone fishing now, uh, it's kind of a newer thing. I actually grew up in Miami, but never went fishing. Can you believe that? I only went water skiing uh, and, and uh, hanging out in islands in the beautiful turquoise, but never mind. I'm, I'm getting envious and jealous. So uh, I've gone fishing now, and I've understood that the number one skill to being a good fisherman is not have much to do with your skill, but with patience, <laughs> right? How uh, can you catch fish? Well, you gotta have hook in the water. In, in their contest, you gotta throw out the, the, the net. Dallas Willard says something really important for us to understand because we're gonna be talking about effort. We're gonna be talking about going out and intentionally seeking people out. And Dallas Willard said this, grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. It's a free gift called grace for the ill-deserving, for you and for me. Once we receive it, we respond to it, and that does take Effort. These men left everything to follow the Messiah. And then Jesus gives us his manifesto, his how to be missionaries in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be reading through a lot. We're, I'm going to have four points, so bear with me. And uh, but, but then again, it's, it's all written down here. So no matter whether you're a junior high student or a college student or in the middle of your busiest work schedule or retired, there's no retirement in the Bible, right? We're all called to go out on mission starting in Verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9. Jesus, uh, 
went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That's no small feat. Jesus was doing what only Jesus can do. In fact, if you read it in context, let me read a list of things that he had just done in the verses prior. He had just, a few chapters ago, preached the whole Sermon on the Mount cleansed leper, healed the centurion's servant. Peter's mother-in-law was also healed, calmed a storm, cast two demons, healed a paralytic man, raised a little girl from the dead, healed a woman who was bleeding for 12 years, healed two blind men and a deaf man. Jesus was doing the thing. He was being Lord on earth. And yet it's a mystery these next few verses. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but... We just read this. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's mind-boggling. Why would the creator of the world, who can do anything just like that, delegate and empower us? Why? If he could just do it all. He just did it in those verses in Matthew. And yet he decides to empower. We're about to see these 12 disciples. And and here's the only thing that I can think of. He wants us to be a part of the fun and the satisfaction that is living on mission with him. He wants to use imperfect people for his perfect purposes. And there's nothing more satisfying than being a part of his mission here on earth. He will one day come back and he will make all things new when heaven comes to earth. And that's going to be a good day. In the meantime, we have some work to do because the reality is when he comes again, he will come not to save, but he'll come to judge. And so if we people here on earth now don't go out and share and live out gospel truth, then we're actually uh, withholding or we're not doing our best to share about the good news of Jesus, what he's done in our lives. It's mission critical. It's also, what are those two words? Harassed and helpless. This world is confused. This world is hurting couple of words here that I think describe the world back then and today. Problems, hopelessness, loneliness, depression, crippling anxiety, and fear. And yet how, what was Jesus's posture? It wasn't one of judgment. It wasn't one of how can you do this when I'm here in the flesh? I just healed all these people and still you're acting confused. No, it says that he had what? Compassion. And that's the first thing that we need to do before we go out. We need to make sure that we are equipped with compassion. And so a question for you and I this morning, I'd love for you to spend some time thinking about this maybe later tonight. How is your compassion gauge? If you were to say full, three-fourths, half, quarter tank, or empty, how are you doing? And a good way to determine how you're doing is look at all the problems, think about all the negative and all the bad, and ask yourself, how am I responding to it? Is it with cynicism? Is it with disgust? Is it with bitterness? Is it with judgment? Or is it with compassion? Because that's how Jesus responded. And we want to respond to the world the way that he responded to you and I. Anybody out there? We need compassion. There, is a, there are so many studies right now that are showing that our compassion tanks as a whole, is uh, they're pretty low. And it's not really a big It's not a mystery, especially in the day of news cycles, 24-7 social media. There's a direct correlation between a decrease in empathy and compassion with our increase of social media. It's kind of ironic because you would have thought the more connected we are, 
the more curious and understanding and empathetic we will be. But there's a big issue. There's distance between people. There, there, there is a big gap, and we need to be close to those and aware of those that are right here. We need to look people in the eye, feel their warmth, feel their presence with us. That All of those are, are needed in order for us to feel compassion. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. And again, we're under attack as a culture because of all of the negative stuff on the outside. It's not, a lot of it is not untrue. It's true, but we need to make sure to combat it with full tanks of compassion. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at a character in the Bible. That was the man, King David himself, a man after the Lord's own heart. And he was busy getting after his mission, serving as king and warrior for his people. And then something happened. We don't know why he stayed home the day that he committed a gross adulterer, uh, uh, entered into an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, but he stayed home. He left his men on the field. Perhaps he was tired. Perhaps his compassion was running low. He was fatigued. And, and then we read this in his confession in Psalms 51 says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your Great compassion blot out my transgression. And so if we are feeling low on compassion, the answer for us is to come back to Jesus, to, to talk to somebody that is safe in our life about that. Share that in your community group. Reach out for prayer. Talk to a pastor. Get some counseling. We need to make sure that our compassion gauge is high. If you're with me, say, I got it. It's super important, the first step, that we go out with full uh, tanks of compassion. And then Jesus uh, calls out his 12, verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, and this is quite a list, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These are the 12 that God first chose to empower. Now, we're all empowered. In the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I will be with you always to the very ends of the age. That's our commission. This was the first commission to these 12 disciples. And there are some key things that I love about these passages teach us how to go out. Uh, first, these disciples were quite the bunch. Uh, they started as disciples, and then they turned into apostles. The difference was not their track record. The difference was what? God gave them authority. It was God-given authority, because it then goes on and expresses some details that are kind of fun if, if you have a good sense of humor. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. We learned that they were fishermen early or earlier on in Matthew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, also fishermen. Uh, another uh, part of the scriptures calls them the sons of thunder. They were a fun bunch. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. The tax collector detail here is important because if you've ever driven through San Marcos and you've seen the Texas State parking, they're not even police, they're like security guards, then uh, you know that 
maybe you're not like me, so I'm going to just talk about myself for a little bit. I immediately am like, oh, oh, how could they devote their lives to giving people parking tickets? You know, this, they didn't even, this is not their land. They, they should allow people to park. And if you're here and you're one of those parking attendants, God is working on my compassion, so let's talk so that I can learn how to, how to have compassion for folks. Matthew was a tax collector. He worked for the Romans and for the Israelites. So he was kind of a, in the middle of a, you know, two, two bad folks. And James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. And then here's the point. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. We know Judas Iscariot betrays him. It says it right there. But Simon the Zealot, they were a part of the most passionate revolutionaries that, that, that were present. at the, They wanted to overthrow Roman rule. Could you imagine a conversation between Simon and Matthew? <laughs> you know, the, this Jewish zealot who wanted to overthrow Roman rule with a guy that was actually working for the Romans and taking money from the Israelites. I mean, this was an awesome, diverse group of folks that God used. What was the secret behind becoming disciples? God's empowering, his handing over authority, delegating his authority so that they drew to be. And when we're in Christ, he is continually transforming us into his image. So that doesn't mean just be you. That means be who God created you to be. That means saying no to the old and yes to the new. It means being transformed by the renewal of our mind every day. And so together, we make up a diverse group of people. There's only one you, and, and the cool thing is that you have a sphere of influence that I don't have. And so when you go to your sphere of influence and I go to mine, then together God is sending strategically out to all people. Now we're doing something that Jesus even couldn't do when he walked as one man here on earth. See, he was playing the long game, starting with 12 and then that 12 turned into 72 in Luke chapter 10 when he sent those. And then in Acts, we read that there were about 300 who then multiplied to like 3,000. And then the church has now grown to a couple billion. And so we're a billion, depending. Well, I'm not going to get into that conversation. But you know what I mean. I mean, we're a large church now. Why? Because they were sent out. So what is your story? That's what we get to share. What makes you you? And the other thing that's so incredible is, man, God does not give up on us despite our failures. I am so glad that God didn't give up on me. Our story is made up of three parts. Our life before we followed Jesus, how we came to know Jesus, not know about Jesus' information, but know when our lives were transformed by Jesus. And then What's the difference? What's our life like now after we've been following Jesus? And I'm just so glad in my personal life that people did not give up on me. There were many chances in high school, especially. I grew up Catholic. I said I grew up in Miami, and then I came to Houston for high school, moved from sunny Miami, Florida to uh, Tomball, Texas. And it was quite the transition going from the boat and the island and the uh, clear water to Lake Conroe. I'm just saying, there was a difference. And then we went to the coast of Texas, and I said, this, what, what happened to the water? Why is it brown? I don't understand. Now our kids, they don't know Miami coast, and so we're trying to keep them in Texas because once you 
go over there. Anyway, uh, so when, when I moved, I went to a Christian school. First time that I was exposed to the difference between Catholic and, and Protestant. And, and there were a lot of wonderful things that came out of that. I learned the Bible and, and I got to see an exp- a personal expression of their faith. But I wasn't following Jesus then. It wasn't until I came to Texas State University. I was looking for uh, fulfilling whatever desire I had. And then I realized that the, what this world has to offer does not satisfy. It is temporary. It is fleeting. And I was longing for more. Well, praise be to God that some man heard a message like this was sent out and it was on the soccer field at Texas State where I was reached and I was invited, just like uh, Hector and Sandra invited Eric and Shauna to a community group. And I started coming to that community group and I started following Jesus. I started praying. I started reading my Bible. And before I knew it, my mind was thinking differently. And before I knew it, I was underwater being baptized. And then I came out and I have been a work of progress since. Long way to go. Bottom line, Jesus changes everything. And I have a story that connects with some people, and you have a story that connects with other people. Where has God given you favor? Where do you have favor? Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's with an extended family member. Maybe it's with that sports team that you're helping coach. Maybe it's with this neighborhood group. Uh, We have an opportunity in 2023 to go overseas and go on mission as a church family. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago, 2023, we're going to go. We're going to go globally. And then my inbox, seriously, email, email here, email there. And uh, now we have two mission trips that we are taking on. So way to go, Cyprus Church, for responding. We have an info meeting for a mission trip in Uganda. That'll happen next Sunday. So if you're thinking, man, I would love to go to Uganda, what, what would that even look like? Show up to the den after the 1030 gathering. Mike and Mary Thrasher will lead you through that. And then at the end of February, the last Sunday, I believe it's February 26th, we'll have an info meeting for a mission trip to Mexico to our partners in Santiago. Here's the thing. Sometimes it's a lot easier to go overseas than it is to go across the street. And and we are called to go right where we are. That's what Jesus calls his Disciples. He says, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So he was calling them according to his historical redemption narrative that Jesus came first to the God first revealed himself to the Jews in Genesis 12, first book of the Bible. We see he appointed Abraham and his family. He showed him his love first. And so Jesus is completing that by saying, hey, go to the Israelites first. And, and he's saying, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey, your extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. 
So he's saying, go to the people of Israel first. Again, that's served its context for the whole narrative of Scripture. But for us, it's important. Let's go on mission. Yes. Let's also go right where we are. In fact, if we're going out there and we're not going here, we have a problem. We should go here first. And then that'll only fortify our mission out there. And there's a key word here that I want to highlight, and that is peace. Let your peace rest on that home after you give it your greeting. Because sometimes we don't come in peace. We, we go out like, oh, kingdom of God is near. Uh, God's coming back. If you don't receive Jesus, you're going to go to hell. Do you understand that? You got to give your life to Jesus and you got to do it. And what happens? And we beat people, and, and, and they, if they come to Jesus, sometimes they just come out of guilt. Now, I've actually met somebody who I asked him, what's your story? And he said, well, I was standing in the corner of Helsinki, Finland, with a guy and a megaphone, and he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near, and he actually came to Jesus. So you never know. You never know. You never know. Bottom line, though, here is peace. Man, we, we come in peace. When we go where we are, we, we greet our neighbors, we greet our friends with the peace of God. And we're, we're just asking, sharing our, our story and saying, hey, let me just invite you. If you're ever wondering what it looks like to follow Jesus, come check out Cypress Creek Church. Come to our community group. Read this chapter in the Bible. Read this book with me. Invite them. You never know. Just like Hector said, he <laughs> talked to Eric and said, you ready, bro? And he said, no, you ready, bro? No, you ready, bro? That worked for Eric and Hector it was the intentionality. See, we do missions. We do evangelisms with low pressure, high intentionality, and long-term commitment. It's in God's timing. It's not ours. This passage also relieves us from any sort of pressure to close the deal. That's God's job. Our job is to sow seeds. Our job is to share our story. Our job is to tell them about Jesus. That's our job. It's God's job to prepare their hearts and to bring them into saving knowledge of Jesus. So go right where you are. I wonder where God has given you favor because that is where your mission field is right now. And let's go on mission. Amen? Overseas, let's go out because uh, we learn beautiful things. Humbling, actually. I've always returned from short-term mission trips much more blessed. <laughs> uh, like feeling like I received way more than I gave. It's funny how it works that way. Okay, so, so now Jesus in verse 16, this is our final point. He's zooming out. He, he, the, the, the tense is changing from present tense to future tense. And so scholars really do believe that this is now the overall uh, mission imperative that he's giving to the whole church because he's including Gentiles. He says this in verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, not if, when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Could have wrapped up the message a point before. 
I could have said, hey, let's uh, go with compassion. Uh, let, let's, let's go uh, where we are. Let's share our stories. But this last one is, is so important because it was true to the 12 and for generations in the church, and it's true for us today. It's not easy. Going on mission out there, being witnesses of Jesus, being ambassadors for Christ is not easy. But it is so satisfying because we don't go alone. Who accompanies us? The Holy Spirit of God, whispering in our ear moment by moment. And if you ever want to come truly alive, partner with him in the work that he is doing all across the world as his word goes out. Stand firm is the word that stood out to me. We need to stand firm. And it reminded me of, of where we started in this series. And, and you may be thinking, I feel like that right now. I feel like a lot of things are coming against me. And I want to lead us back to what we started reading in Matthew 7, 24. Hopefully you got one of these. And, and I want you to leave with this as, as we close out this build series to, to ask, what is God building in my life? Because it really starts here and flows out from there. And it's this passage from Matthew 7. It says, this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. That's what it looks like to stand firm on God. And, and, and there's two hard things that happen here. One, uh, it gets hard when, when we get Persecuted. It gets hard when we feel like we're the only ones. It gets hard when we feel like we're not smart enough or popular enough. Or it gets hard when we go against the flow of culture. And it also gets hard when we look at some of the destruction that our own mistakes have caused. And that may be where you're at right now. And you're ready to stand firm on the promises of God. And there's no better day to say yes to Jesus and this morning, as we do two things, and that's how I want to close. So I want to stand and pray. I want, us for, uh, I, want, I want to ask if we have said yes to Jesus, and then I want to commission us all to go in. And so if you're willing and able, please stand with me as we close. I think of the peace that transcends all understanding, Jesus, that you said would guard our hearts and our minds in you. Peace that is greater than the circumstance that we may be facing. Peace that is undeserved because of the things that we have done, yet you so freely came to reconcile us back to you, and there's nothing more peaceful than that. And so, Father, I, I thank you that we are gathered here this morning in your name to talk about the things that you have laid out for us to do. And one of those is to turn to you, to call you our Savior and our Lord. You said that these things would be hard for us, being rejected, being hated. But Lord, you went through it all. You were hated. You were rejected so that you can pay the price for our sins, so that you can reconcile us back to God. And we do not take that for granted. We thank you for the price that was paid on the cross. We thank you for the promise of everlasting life thanks to your resurrection. 
And so if there is anyone in the house that is ready to say yes to you, thank you, Jesus, that all you want us to do is say what Eric said. Yes, I accept you as my Savior and my Lord. And then you call us to walk together, not on our own, but in community. So if you are ready to say yes to Jesus, you can say it right there where you are. And I would also encourage you to come share that with someone. The next step is baptism. It's an outward expression of an inward reality.